We're going to be in Judges chapter 6, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, we're going to put the verses up on the screen, so no worries. Um, But just to give you a little context, because we're going to jump in kind of halfway through the story, um, basically what's happening is the Israelites are in crisis mode. They have been... It's been uh, generations since Joshua has led them into the promised land, and they are backslidden. They've started sinning against God again, and they're worshiping idols, and they are just doing evil in the sight of the Lord. And, um, And at this point, because of that, it's put them under domination of the Midianites, and the Midianites are terrible. Basically, what happens is the Israelites will toil over their crops, and then as soon as it comes time for harvest, the Midianites will blow through and burn up all of their harvest, they kill all of their livestock, and it has, for seven years this has been going on, and the Israelites are running for the hills, literally hiding in caves and in the mountains, and so at this point, they're finally crying out to God, God, we need your help, and so we're going to pick up in Judges 6, um, verse 11. It says, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, Lord, Gideon replied. Someone say, pardon me. Pardon me, Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all of the Midianites, leaving none alive. So God, right now, as we um, receive your word and we hear a word from you, God, I just ask that you would challenge us, that you would challenge the even the hard parts in our own heart that we don't really want touched, God, um, that you would make us new, give us a fresh vision from you, a fresh revelation. God, would you speak through me? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I want to preach a word tonight called, pardon me, Lord. Turn to your neighbor and say, pardon me. Turn to your other neighbor and say, yeah, you heard him. I love the story of Gideon. I remember hearing this message when I was in high school, and it changed my life. I love it because when you strip it back, it's basically about an average human being with very average doubts and average weaknesses, but the same average human being was able to access a new level of faith to accomplish the assignment that God had for him. And so as I was reading this message, I was just thinking about God's plan for all of our lives and what it would look like if every believer actually walked in it. And three things immediately jumped out to me um, that we can learn from Gideon's story and when it comes to God's plan for our life. Um, The first thing is this, your life is bigger than you thought. It's bigger than you thought. I've never threshed wheat before, truth. (laughs) Um, But when I was prepping the message, I was like, I should probably know what that looks like. So I searched some YouTube videos, and now I'm a pro. Basically, what you do is you have these, like, giant stalks. It's very similar to how you'd prepare, like, a coffee bean. You have these large stalks of wheat, and they have what's called a threshing floor where this uh, particular thing is done. And they 
put the threshing, the threshing floor is a hard surface and they smash um, the chaff, which is the casing around the kernel of wheat, and it separates, it breaks the chaff. And then to separate out just the kernels of wheat, you have to sift and you need wind to blow the chaff away and the kernels of wheat settle to the bottom of the uh, basket or bowl or whatever you're using. And so I'm picturing Gideon and he's in a wine press which is not the threshing floor. Um, a wine press is underground, so there's already no wind, so he's at a disadvantage there. And I just picture him trying to tediously break open all of the chaffs and separate, because he's probably trying to stay quiet, the Midianites can't find him, and he's probably pretty frustrated and a little bored, to be honest. And he's probably a little resentful, probably even a little fearful that they would find him, and he's just, tediously like working away on his wheat and then the angel of the Lord shows up. The angel of the Lord shows up and calls him mighty warrior. How many of you know that God sees more than you do? <laughs> Gideon's threshing wheat and the angel shows up and says mighty warrior and he's like looking behind him make sure nobody snuck in when he wasn't looking. Gideon says pardon me. Um, I'm just it's cool, I'm just threshing my wheat over here. Uh, don't mind me, but I'm not the one you're looking for. I'm not the mighty warrior. You can go back into town, probably find him there. And God's like, no, I'm talking to you. And Gideon's like, who sent you? He's like, did they give you all the facts? Cause like, I'm the least in my family. We're like, nobody's around here. It can't be me who you're looking for. I think for a lot of us, we've been saying that to God for a long time, right? Like, as if God's mistaken, as if he has the wrong guy. See, the, the life that God has for you will almost always be unrecognizable to the naked eye because God sees more. You see a coward, and he sees a mighty warrior. You see a failure, and he sees potential. You see a nobody, but God sees somebody he can use if you're willing. But that's the tension because you have to be willing. You have to be willing to be used by God, right? You have to be willing to risk the ocean. You have to be willing to get your hands dirty. You have to be willing to step out of the wine press, right? I think for a lot of us, we're not, we barter with God not because we don't think we're qualified, but because the wine press might be boring, but it is safe. It might be tedious, but it's predictable, right? We're bartering with God because we don't see what he sees. Some of you are in the wine press threshing wheat by hand, tediously working away at something, and God's saying, I have more for you, but there's more. Your life, it's bigger than you thought, but you don't want to leave the comfort of convenience because it's convenient to blame everyone else for everything that's gone wrong in your life. It's convenient to continue to just date that person instead of trust God in marriage. It's convenient to come to church every weekend, but always just stay surface level, never go deeper, never join a group, never serve. It's convenient to trust God with your time and your talent, but never the tithe. It's convenient to just come and show face on Sunday, but never invite God into your Monday through Saturday. We have to fight the complacency of comfort. 
As a church, we have to fight the complacency of comfort. I don't ever want to stay comfortable in my life when God has more for me. I don't want to stay hiding in the wine press when God says, but your life is bigger than you thought. See, our life was comfortable two years ago. We lived in Montana. We had secure jobs. We had a cute little house on the lake. And, um, I mean, we probably could have used more money. We were living paycheck to paycheck, but we were comfortable until we heard that still small voice from God saying, but it's bigger than you thought, but I have more for you. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we obeyed and we quit our jobs with a four month old baby and we moved and sold everything we had and we moved into my high school bedroom and my parents' house, talk about moving backwards. Why? Because we believe that God had an assignment for us here. And we believe that God had more for us here and that it wasn't just about us, that it was about the call of God that was on our life. And so we trusted him and we stepped out in faith and look at what he's done. He has blessed us beyond anything we could have ever imagined. I look at this angle right here and see all of these people that would not be in our life had we not said yes to God. What would your life look like if you stepped out of the wine press and trusted God in it? It's bigger than you. It's bigger than your family. It's bigger than this church. God's saying, mighty warrior, do you trust me? Will you go with me? Will you listen to me? It's bigger than you thought. Point number two, it's going to take more faith than you thought. How many of you have ever started a home improvement project and realized halfway through it's a way bigger project than you thought it was going to be? I'm the queen of this. I'm like, babe, it'll just take two hours. It's been like three weeks and it's still half done. I'm like, I'm sorry, Googling, what's a jigsaw? Do I need it? Is there a DIY for that? There's a lady that I follow on Instagram. She's like the queen of DIY home renovations. She's like, ladies, don't be afraid of your power tools. You got this. And so I'm like feeling inspired one day. I'm like scrolling through like, yeah, I got this babe, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to hang those shelves in Archer's room. I'm like texting him. He's at work and he's like, okay. And I'm like, which one's the power drill? <laughs> and so I like get all the things that I need and I start going to town and I'm actually still not quite sure what I did. I managed to create four very large holes in the wall and I had to do the walk of shame back to my husband with the power drill. And I looked at him and I said, say one word and I will cut you. <laughs> just fix it. See, I was inspired and motivated at the start, but the assignment was harder than I thought. It would have been one thing if Gideon assembles this massive army and it's like Braveheart and they have face paint on and they're like, hoorah, like grunting and stuff. And, and then they win this battle, but it's not what we see in the story. In fact, it's actually devastatingly hard to watch. Gideon assembles an army of 32,000 men which pales in comparison to the Midianite army of 132,000 men. And then God says, hey, Gideon, there's too many men. You got to send some home. And Gideon's like, did you do the math? Like, the odds are already not in our favor. And God says, send them home. So he's left with two, uh, a third of the army that he had started with. He has 10,000 men left. And as if that weren't bad enough, then God says, do it again. I'm going to separate them for you by the way they drink. There's still too many. And Gideon's left with only 300 men. Think about that for a second. Look around the room. There's about maybe less than 300 people in here. 
300 men to fight an army of 135,000 enemies. I imagine Gideon is trying to remain strong, like, yes, the Lord told me, and he's trying to pump up his army, and then he's going back into the tent like, God, if you do not show up, we are going to have words. (laughs) I've felt like that before. God, if you don't show up, I know where to find you. (laughs) We're going to have words. But I think about it, like, why did God do it that way? Why did God even allow Gideon to assemble 32,000 men in the first place, right? Like, he could have just assembled 300 and called it a day. Why did God allow Gideon to watch his army dwindle in size? I think it's because God needed to remind Gideon, hey, buddy, it's going to take more faith than you thought. It's going to take more faith than you thought. And with this decrease, I'm actually going to give you more access to me because without me, you're going to fall flat on your face. I'm taking away your safety net so that you can see me do something supernatural. Taking away his safety net so you can see him do something supernatural. We get a word from God and... um, All of us, we get a word from God and we're stoked on it until something goes wrong and we're like, God, maybe it's just not for me. You start saying things like, maybe I heard God wrong. Could it be perhaps that he's decreasing your army so he could increase your faith? Where you want to go is going to take way more faith than what got you here in the first place. It's like those stupid Instagram ad that ads advertise for games. Did they ever get you? They're like, can you beat this puzzle? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> Download. And then I'm on it till three in the morning trying to pass all the levels. And I'm like trying to beat them until I get to a level that stumps me. And then I just delete the app because I'm prideful and I don't want that kind of spirit in my life. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. We want to get to the end. We want an A to Z plan from God. God doesn't work that way. He gives an A to B plan. And then he gives a B to C plan. And then he gives a C to D plan. They're like levels, right? And each new level requires more faith and more wisdom and more patience and more commitment than the last. And while each new level requires more and more for you, it actually becomes easier and easier to trust God. Why? Because you've seen what he's done and you carry that wisdom forward. You strategize to move forward. So many of us get stumped in this life that God has given us, and then we think, oh man, it's time to abort. It's time to run away. And God's saying, could you just trust me a little? Could you let me prove my faithfulness? Could you give me an inch so that I can let you see how good I am so you can see how I work and how I move? You don't stop trying, you don't give up, you keep pushing, and you keep fighting because, yes, it looks impossible. And circumstances say it probably won't work, but God is a promise keeper. So if he promised you he would do it, he's going to do it. And he also doesn't leave unfinished projects. If he started it, he's going to finish it. It's going to take more faith than you thought. The last thing is this, it's going to be crazier than you thought. In chapter 7, verse 19, it says this, Gideon and the 300 men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke their jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. 
Verse 22, when the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp, the Midianites, to turn on each other with their swords. They win an entire war with not a single weapon. You know what we're good at? Telling God how to do his job. I can almost hear, uh, they don't ever complain out loud, but I can almost hear the thoughts of Gideon's army like, is this dude crazy? A war without weapons, it's a death sentence. There's no way. There's no way. Like, is he actually hearing from God or are we walking into a trap right now? But see, what we think is required to win a war is vastly different from what God can use with a little faith. They thought they needed weapons. They thought they needed swords and stones and bows and arrows. And God said, just use what's already in your hand. I've already given it to you. So many of you are stagnant in your life because you think you need something more from God to fulfill the call that he has in your life. And I've come here tonight to tell you, you have everything you need. It's already in your hand. He's already given it to you. The band can come up right now too, by the way. I am... I think about um, my husband, Brandon. Um, <laughs> he's the best. <laughs> You've seen him up here sometimes. He plays bass and guitar, and he pushes buttons on that little pad thing. I don't know what it does, but it sounds good. <laughs> um, and if you didn't realize, Brandon was born with one hand. And um, I think about young Brandon, who was ashamed of having one hand, and he would hide it in his sleeve like this, or he would put it in his sweatshirt pocket. And that young Brandon really had every reason to justify living small. Pastor Jamin talked about it a few weeks ago. He had every reason to justify living in the box of his disability, of what people thought he could and couldn't do. You know, baseball, probably not. I mean, it's been done, but not likely. Play guitar. I doubt it, but it seems a little trickier than even baseball. But y'all, God can't be boxed in by what we deem qualified. Brandon has exceeded every limitation that was set on him because when he was 15 years old, he decided to give his life to Jesus and say, they, I might not have what they think I need, but God, I trust you, and I'm, I'm going to go in your grace, and I'm going to try things, and I'm going to give you my yes, right? So a few years ago, we were walking through a mall in Salt Lake City, and uh, Brandon's never met a stranger in his life, and so he starts talking to this guy in the parking garage over sneakers or something, and the conversation ends, and we keep walking, and the guy kind of calls out to us and comes running after us, and he said, hey, I don't mean to be rude, but can I ask what happened to your hand? And Brandon's not, like, very used to that question. He was like, yeah, sure. Uh, he was like, I was born without it. And the guy starts nodding, and then he just starts bawling, crying in the middle of the mall. And he said, um, man, my wife is due to give birth any day now. And like four months ago, we found out that our son's hand never developed. And we've really been mourning the life that we thought we were going to have with our son. And I know it's not life-threatening, and we're so grateful, but we're athletes, and just the life that we thought we were going to have with him seems impossible now. And it's so cool. It was like in that moment, God's plan for Brandon's life was revealed. Not that he was going to specifically help parents whose kids have one hand, but that Brandon's a walking testimony of what God can do when you just give him your yes. 
your broken yes, your yes that you feel disqualified, your yes that feels lacking. And Brandon got to encourage this dad and say, it might sound crazy, but I was a pitcher in the Bronco World Series. It might sound crazy, but my full-time vocation is music. I'm a musician. It might sound crazy. Can I tell you something? God specializes in crazy. You think it sounds crazy, but to God, he said, that's exactly what I was looking for. I came here tonight to tell someone who feels stuck that they're waiting on God to give them more talent or a bigger house or a better job or a bigger bank account. You have everything you need. What you need is a heavenly perspective to see the things that are already in your hand. I don't know about you, but I wanna live a life where I'm constantly saying, pardon me, God, did I hear you right? Pardon me, God, you want me? Pardon me, God, you want me to do what? Because your life is bigger than you thought. It's bigger than you thought, but you have to step out of the wine press in order to access that life. And it's gonna take more faith than you thought. But if you just continue to obey God and watch him prove his faithfulness, it gets easier and easier to trust him the further and further you go. And it's gonna sound crazy but just watch and see what God can do. Just watch and see what he can do with your yes. For some of you, stepping out of the wine press tonight looks like choosing to allow God a seat in your car, choosing to allow God, you're releasing control of your life to Jesus. And maybe you've never done that before, and I'll tell you what, the comfort of convenience will tell you that you need all the answers to make a decision like this, that you, could probably put this decision off, have fun a little longer. You have a date at the club next weekend. You don't want to miss that. So surely making a decision like this would ruin that. Can I tell you that there's never a better day to release control of your life to a God that sees way more than you do? It will change the trajectory of your life. And so that's what we're going to do right now. I'm just going to give you an opportunity um, to receive Christ as your savior. And so if you'd bow your heads with me, maybe you've made this decision before and you're coming back to God, or maybe um, this is the first time that you are just saying yes to God. You're saying, yes, God, I want you in my life. I want you to guide me. I want to step out of the wine press and choose a life with you. I'm going to ask the whole church to pray this with you, but it's especially important that you pray it. Say, God, I believe in you. I believe you died for me, and I believe you rose again. Come into my life. I turn from my old life, and I turn towards you. I declare that Jesus is Lord of my life.